HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Cutting the Curd. This episode is three conversations recorded live in the podcast lounge at the Art of Cheese Festival in Madison, Wisconsin. Cutting the Curd spoke with three women in cheese who are changing the landscape of the dairy state. Huma Siddiqui Seitz joined H. Connolly from Heritage Radio Network to discuss the relationship between food and culture and her goals for her company, White Jasmine. Madeline Kuhn shares her journey in cheese and describes the process of product development at Emmy Roth. Pam Hodgson of Sartori Cheese is currently one of only two women to have the title of Master Cheesemaker. She explains what this title means and her path to get here. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the HRN Podcast Lounge, live at the Art of Cheese Festival. I'm H. Conley, and I'm here with Huma Siddiqui Seitz. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Can, can you start out just by introducing yourself to our listeners? Uh, sure. As um, H. mentioned, I'm, my name is Huma Siddiqui Seitz. I'm originally from Pakistan, grew up there, and then kind of moved around the world a little bit, lived in North Africa, then lived in England, and then landed in Wisconsin. Yeah. So it has been quite an adventure. Yeah, I'd love to hear, like, what was your relationship to cheese throughout your, like, childhood, throughout all this moving oh, around? it's very interesting because uh, growing up in Pakistan, we usually have the fresh cheese, which is the paneer, mm-hmm. and that's all I knew. Um, and my dad used to, he was a scientist, he used to travel quite a bit, so he would bring this uh, a tin of cheddar time to time, nice. and that used to be our cheese, Western cheese experience. <laughs> you know, and then when I once I moved to Wisconsin, it was mind blowing wow. at how many different kinds of cheeses are available. And I just thought, you know, um, because I, you know, grew up with a lot of spices and it was sort of everyday thing for for me. So I wanted to uh, create some new cheese flavors without my spices in them. Yeah. Well, I want to back up a moment. And what brought you to Wisconsin originally? Uh, well, I was living in London, but um, I wanted to I had to leave my um, marriage and move here with my two kids. My brother was here in Mount Horeb and uh, he said, well, you can come here and um, go to school. So I actually, I have an accounting and IT background. Oh, wow. Um, so came here, finished my accounting degree, got my CPA, and then started teaching cooking classes. Oh, wow. Because I thought I wanted to bring those flavors and see if anybody's interested 
yeah. um, here in Mount Horeb. Wow. So a small town, you know, uh, but it's, I feel like I have lived in the U.S. longer than I lived in Pakistan. So it feels like home. Wow. Um, yeah, and I'd love um, for you to just to describe White Jasmine and what you do there. Uh, sure. So White Jasmine kind of came into being, we started with this uh, cooking classes and then the spice line. And then I thought, you know, we live in the dairy land. I would like to do something with the cheese. And uh, so that's how it kind of started. The name of my business, White Jasmine, is really about the, the jasmine flowers. Mm -hmm. I grew up with them uh, all my life, and the flowers are always white. And so I thought, well, I'm going to call it White Jasmine because, the, you know, they say about the fragrance that you grow up with, it mm -hmm. always stays with you through your life, and it definitely is true. Mm. So that's kind of a reflection of um, my own childhood. Yeah, well, and you started it with your son, right? Yes. Um, so I'd love to hear, like, how you two kind of, yeah, built it out to what it is today. Uh, yeah, so he started, uh, my son Samir, he started, you know, helping me with the, carrying the boxes and this and that, uh, whenever I needed help with that. And then I thought, well, would you be interested in partnering with me? And he said yes. So we just kind of did all the, he would help me with the cooking classes and then uh, with the cheese as well. And we did different uh, places. We would, uh, you know, sample our cheeses and then also talk to distributors and kind of start to grow the business. Yeah, well, and you, you make kind of a diverse product line. I'd love to hear, like, you talk about the, the, different, the different sections of what you do. Yeah, so, you know, cooking class is one of my passions mm -hmm. because I do think that, um, you know, food has to be flavorful. It has to be pretty. Yeah. So colorful and healthy. So those are the three kind of our pillars of our cooking classes, and I can offer that to people. Uh, I realize that a lot of people like uh, the food they, uh, or like the spices as well, but they just don't know how to use them. And I think I can help with that. Uh, so that's was sort of one part of my business. And then the cheese and the spice line is another. Yeah, well, talking about colorful, I mean, your cheese is so uh, so striking because it's got so many different colors. It's like so bright and so well, like the speckle you. is really beautiful. Um, <laughs> really identifiable. Um, yeah, and I I feel like, you know, flavor, it's all Gouda, right? Or, sorry? What? Um, yeah, these are all, it's a Gouda line. Yeah. Because we realized when we were experimenting that the Gouda cheese is the best one which holds the spice really well. Mm. Uh, so it makes it very creamy. And you can use it. You know, we won a couple of grilled cheese championships. Mm. Where else can happen grilled cheese in, in just in Wisconsin, right? Yeah, yeah. So we went a couple of times because we used our tandoori gouda with really thin slices of crisp apples. Mm. And we won a couple of times because the spice from the uh, cheese and the sweetness of the apples made it great. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like why Wisconsin is like such a good place for white jasmine and like why this oh, is the home of white I jasmine. I can talk about it all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, you know, I love the uh, sense of community. Mm. And I did find that uh, here after moving. You know, when you move away from home, where you, what, that's all you know. Mm. And it's, so, it's very isolating to come to a new country, a new culture. However, I felt like I can be a part of this community and was very welcomed, uh, yeah. so which is great. And I do feel like still we don't live in Mount Horeb anymore. I lived there about 22 years, but um, I feel like that's my hometown. Oh. And I write a column for their newspaper, a culinary column every month, wow. and um, teach cooking classes. And it's just that's how I feel about 
living in Wisconsin. And you know, a lot of times people think that Pakistan is a desert, and it isn't. It's very green. Mm. So I feel the same way. Well, don't get me wrong. The winters are harsh. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> the first winter we had here was a very eye-opening uh, because I had never seen this much snow in my life. Um, mm. But anyway, we never had a shovel. Uh, so we learned to shovel the snow. However, when, once you get through those three or four months, I mean, it's beautiful. And it's so green and it's so lush and all the farms. And so it, it just reminds me of home as well. Yeah, well, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the weekend and what your classes that you're teaching today, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, what's what's on the docket? So uh, just uh, actually on Thursday, I had a, a cooking class uh, in Wanaki, and I taught how to make samosas, mm. you know, because that's people love samosas, and it's a very popular appetizer in Pakistani Indian food. So I wanted to teach that. But this weekend, I mean, yesterday, Art of Cheese Festival, that, the cheese ball was amazing. In, uh, so much cheese everywhere. And it was done very, very nicely. Very classy. Yeah. Very so beautiful. I hope that, uh, you know, we continue to do that every year. And a lot of focus. Uh, right now, I have a stand outside by Farmer's Market. My husband is managing it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So we are sampling and we are selling the cheese, especially our tandoori gouda is very popular. Yeah. Well, what, so, is, what is your favorite of your cheeses? For me, it's the cumin gouda because mm. I love cumin and I love to cook with it. Yeah. So when we were coming up with these um, recipes, I was, uh, my cheesemaker was like, maybe you should use ground cumin. I said, oh, no. I'm going to use the whole cumin seeds because that has an impact. Mm. When you take a piece of it, your mouth should feel awake. Mm. And that's what food is all about. Yeah. That, you know, you feel like you're eating something, you can appreciate that. Uh, and not just, uh, for me, food is not just because you're hungry. It is really, um, you know, an experience. Mm. And that's what I wanted to add to our cheeses. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear a little bit about the process of how your cheese is made. You mentioned you work with a cheesemaker. Mm -hmm. So what is the, like, yeah, what is the, like, whole process of, like, milk to, uh, to packaged, yeah, <laughs> packaged cheese in your store? So what we do is uh, we make, actually, the, uh, the spice blend, which is the tandoori masala. And that has 13 different spices. So that gets oh, all wow. mixed up. That gets sent to the cheese, um, you know, factory. They make the cheese with my spices in them. And then when it's very young cheese, so I would say about three to four weeks, and the Gouda is ready. And then it goes to the packaging uh, company, gets all packaged, labeled, and then is sent out to distributors. Nice. And also some of it that we carry because we have our website, whitejasmine.com, so we get orders from all around the country. Wow. And we get them packaged and send them out. Wow. And um, where is the cheese made? So it is made in Oconto Falls uh, near Green Bay. We have a factory there. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And just as Marika said, that sometimes, uh, you know, it, with the business comes the risk. Mm -hmm. So at times you feel like, should I continue to do this? Should I? And many times. But I can't. I, I was just talking to my husband last night and I said, you know, Whenever things go wrong, I could never say, oh, I'm going to give this up. Yeah. I could not. This is a big part of my life. I think I'll be lost. Although I have a family, I have my grandkids, I have my husband. 
but it's such a it's it's about the passion yeah you know the purpose in life and i feel i landed in wisconsin for a reason to make some cheese which i had never dreamt of ever in my life growing up in pakistan Wow, that's so lovely. Um, yeah, I do feel like, you know, cheese, or food in general, but I feel yes. like cheese especially. It's such a risky, like, so much can go mm-hmm. wrong, but it's so worth and it, it in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd, I mean, I'd love to hear about a little bit of the challenges that you faced in, like, the years of running White Jasmine. So uh, some, some, of the, uh, some of it was really about, okay, how, how are we going to sell it? Mm-hmm. Where is it going to be sold? You know, and then sampling. Because these are such unique cheeses, people do have to try. You know, most people don't know what tandoori gouda tastes like. So mm-hmm. our, one of the, our biggest challenges was to continue to sample. And so we need more resources. We need more people to go to different stores and continue to sample them. So mm-hmm. I think that was our biggest challenge. Yeah. How big is your team? Well, it's myself. <laughs> and then we have a team of people who do the demos. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Is your is your son still involved or? Uh, no, not quite, okay. because he has a family now. We have mm. three little grandkids, ah. and uh, and his wife. So and he he works as a financial advisor, ah, so he doesn't nice. have much time, yeah. uh, which is you know I know that. Yeah. So I kind of like yeah that's fine because he helped me get where we are. Wow, that's great. You so know? you're kind of like a, you're the, you're steering the ship on your yes. these days. And my husband is very kind to come and help me with all the caring, these coolers and whatnot. Yeah. And selling the cheese. So, yeah. Well, um, I'm curious, uh, did you get to do any of the like events for the, like the day yesterday, the tours or anything? Uh, no, we couldn't do the tours or anything uh, yeah. like that. I do uh, work in IT. Mm. So I do have that as well. Oh, wow. So, so it's just like, okay, there's only so much the, the balancing act. Yeah, wow. That's a lot to, to juggle, a whole business and a, yeah. another job. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, the business feels to me, it feels like um, more like a kind of passion for me. It's mm-hmm. not so much work. There is a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like work because you're happy. You're doing, I, I could be packing cheese all day long and I wouldn't care. Wow. You know? Yeah. Wow. Otherwise, um, you can't do it. Um, you know, yeah. if you don't have that, then it becomes a chore yeah. and work. And uh, that's not what this is about. Yeah. Do you have anything new in development? Is there anything upcoming for White There's Jasmine? always ideas. Yeah. <laughs> you can't stop. But yeah. um, at the moment, there's something in the pipeline. But uh, we will continue to work at it. Is it is it secret? Can yes. You, yeah. Okay. <laughs> For now. Okay. Uh, dang. <laughs> um, well, I'm curious of the like. I'm sure you've been trying a lot of cheeses at the ball and at the uh-huh. fair today. I'm curious. Um, did you try anything especially exciting or inspirational? Or yeah. oh, there is so much in- inspiration all around in yeah. this state. There, you cannot deny that. And yes, last night was just amazing that I, you know, we tasted, we were cheesed out by the end of the night. Yeah. But yeah, there are definitely a lot of different kinds of cheeses that we tried. Yeah. And, and great inspiration too. Yeah. Any highlights? Anything um, specific that you like especially loved? Well, we loved the, um, the fresh mozzarella. Mm. That was mm-hmm. something that I really always enjoy. And it was just so fresh with all the, uh, you know, beautiful summer tomatoes. Yeah. 
Amazing. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I'm curious, um, yeah, about, uh, I guess, if you can't share what's upcoming, but <laughs> yeah. um, for, so you said that, are the samosas for the cooking class today? No, yeah. it was uh, on Thursday. Ah, okay. That I, and I have about eight or nine cooking classes coming up. So I usually do what my goal for the cooking classes is really that something that is easy, that is uh, simple, and that somebody, you know, people who attend can go home and not feel daunted by it. Mm. And they feel like, yes, empowered that I can do this. And so that's the goal of my classes. Mm. Good food, you know, you, you need that for your body. So just good ingredients. And when you cook at home, you know what goes in there. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of choices, and you can pick what you want. Yeah, well, I mean, that is so beautiful. And exactly, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I think that's a great place to end. Uh, well, thank, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I yeah. appreciate that. All right, have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you, you too. And eat some cheese. Welcome to the HRN Podcast Lounge, live at the Art of Cheese Festival. This is Jessica. I'm here with Madeline Kuhn. So happy to have you. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because you are part of Roth Cheese, and that's a big name in the Wisconsin cheese world. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Sure. Um, at Roth, uh, I am part of the research and development team. Um, my official title is R&D specialist. Um, and by way of that, I am also one of the licensed cheesemakers at Roth. And one of the licensed female cheesemakers in the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so that is always a great thing. Mm -hmm. So what does R&D mean? Like, what are, you, what are you doing in research and development at a cheese company like Roth? Sure. Um, so uh, I do um, really end-to-end R&D. -end, uh, so I like to think of it as um, taking an idea, whether it's mine or somebody else's vision, and figuring out how to make that happen and walking it through all those infant infancy stages um, through uh, to fruition so that we can share it with cheese fans and our customers all over the states. And that includes the cheese making part? You still get to wear your cheese making hat? I do wear my cheese making hat. That's what we do. That's what I'm doing every day. So how did you become a licensed cheese maker? Was that part of the plan? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, it wasn't part of my plan. Um, I come from a dairy background. I grew up on a dairy farm um, in rural Wisconsin, but I never imagined I'd be working in dairy in any capacity. So uh, I still surprise myself when I think about how I've landed here uh, today making cheese at Roth. And were, did you study dairy science or? I studied food science. Food so science. I'm a food scientist and comma cheese maker. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of science in cheese making. So it's all science. It's all science. <laughs> yes, that's right. It is, it is all science. Is there a part of it that interests you in particular? Like what, what is it about science and cheese making? That yeah. Um, there's so a, a lot of people will echo the sentiment of art uh, and science 
uh, in cheese making, and there's a fair amount of art, of course, but I say it's all science because as a creator or as an artist, you really have to understand what you're doing and how it impacts uh, the finished product, the finished cheese. So um, something that continues to fascinate me uh, about cheesemaking and the science uh, within is flavor development. Um, I focus a lot on flavor development in cheesemaking and in R&D, and it's just a fascinating uh, world to kind of peer into and pick apart when thinking about what a product will be um, when it's finished, when it leaves the cellars, and it just, um, it, every little nugget of information that I gain along the way uh, is so precious to me, and I, I, there will never be a moment when I, then when I feel like I know all about flavor development. I am now fascinated by this idea of flavor development, and I want to get to talking about the dairy part and the Wisconsin part, but I want to know. Where does flavor come from in cheese? Mm -hmm. So um, in cheese making, of course, you know, we start with uh, a few very simple ingredients. Um, the milk sets the stage for that. Um, depending on where the milk comes from, what type of animal, what they're eating, the grasses, um, that will impart some flavor to the finished product. But on top of that, as cheese makers, we add cheese cultures, so those are friendly bacteria or yeasts and mold that we choose to add to the milk, and they also contribute a lot of the flavor. Um, they're busy microorganisms that break down protein and fat, all that wonderful goodness coming from the milk, uh, into very diverse, very interesting flavor compounds. So there's, there's a lot uh, at, hand, at the hand of the cheesemaker to influence, and also at the farmer. The farmer is responsible for some of that mm -hmm. development of flavor because of the cows and the cow's diet and the land mm -hmm. and the land stewardship. So where does the milk that you are using in your cheesemaking coming from? Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. It really um, is so important for the farmers to take care of their milk and produce a, a high-quality uh, fluid product. Um, in uh, Monroe, which uh, one of our Roth creameries is in Monroe, Wisconsin, uh, our milk is sourced from 60 miles, um, a 60-mile radius around the creamery. Um, we currently have, I believe, on average, um, uh, an average herd size of 100 cows, which is fairly small. That is small. Yeah, yeah. in this day and age in dairy and uh, milk production. Um, so the farms are, they're small uh, farmers, family-owned farms. Um, they're our friends and our neighbors and our family. And as a cheesemaker and a farm kid, I'm so proud that we can provide an outlet for those small farmers, um, the milk that they produce and they pour their livelihood into. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were um, a dairy farm kid. So what was that like growing up on a dairy farm? And did... Did you always think you were going to stay in something related? Oh, so um, I had an amazing childhood growing up on, a, uh, on the farm. Um, my family uh, had a Jersey herd, and I feel very fortunate to have had um, a childhood full of 
experiences and interfacing with agriculture and the natural world, um, it really stoked this interest and passion for science, um, which is you know, eventually what I decided to pursue um, through education and in my professional life. Um, so, you know, it really set the stage for me. Um, our uh, farm was a grass-based dairy, so stewardship of the land, um, exercising no-till practices um, was very important. Can you important. say a little bit I, what no-till is for people sure. who may not be familiar? Yeah, so uh, we have uh, grass-based dairy means uh, our land was um, pasture. Um, for the animals and for making hay. And we didn't do any cropping. Um, of course, plenty of farmers do, and that's also important. Um, but my parents were adamant uh, when they took ownership of that land um, that they didn't want to disturb the top soils and the native grasses and plants there, alfalfa and clovers and all these wonderful um, nutrition sources for the cows. So they decided uh, not to till anything and to just manage grazing rotationally um, and be good stewards of the land that way. The future of dairy farming in Wisconsin, as we move forward with crazier and crazier weather and droughts and intense rain and droughts and such, is going to continue to be confronting a lot of these challenges and land stewardship is always a part of the conversation. Do you see some changes around that conversation in Wisconsin dairy or is there, um, is there an incentive for people to start looking at land, at land stewardship? That's an interesting, interesting question. Um, I, I can speak from experience. Um, just just from my own background, um, the, that small dairy farming, especially the way that my family chose to, uh, wasn't sustainable for us. Um, we were fortunate my, that my parents were able to move on to their professional jobs, um, but others are not. So it's a tough life um, to choose and to pour um, so much of your yourself and take on that backbreaking work um, in, in farm life, um, that's, that's not something that anybody would take lightly. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't think that there is much incentive um, for people to take that journey mm -hmm. if they don't have some experience with it. Um, I, wish it was a, I wish it was a different situation. Um, however, I am encouraged because people are exercising more creativity and pursuing education on better land management practices um, so that they can produce milk and be in agriculture in a more sustainable way. And that's on the producer side um, as well as uh, um, on the manufacturing side in cheese making. We have to think about the same thing so that we have longevity in this industry. So a lot of that and keeping farming, dairy farming viable and, and keeping dairy farming in a particular way viable comes back to turning it into a great product 
that people will go to the market and buy and increase demand for and such. So in R&D and development of these cheeses, are there, is there a push and pull with the market? Are you thinking about like the end product first and working backwards or are you developing flavors based on, like where is that coming from, the development part? Mm -hmm. Where is your inspiration? Inspiration comes from all over. So um, I consider myself to be uh, well, first, first and foremost, I'm a cheese lover, <laughs> so I'm an enthusiast, and I am inspired by what I like to eat myself. Um, and I would love to create delicious things that I would enjoy sharing with my friends and family. Um, that's often where it starts. Uh, we also work a fair amount directly with stakeholders for our products, um, consumers, um, and other customers that come to us and say, hey, we would love to sell this. We want to share this with uh, the people that come into our store. Can you present us something or create something new? Um, and they may have an idea of the direction they want to go with that, or it's a blank slate. Right. And then uh, that's a little bit more of a tall order, but I like to have the creative freedom um, to uh, really illustrate and bring that to life. So what are some of the Roth cheeses that kind of go to the top of your list when you think about um, you know, introducing somebody to the line? What would you start with? Mm -hmm. um, you mean past, past creations? Yeah, or? yeah. Or, or if I were to walk into a market today, because there are some really great oh options. Gosh. So which ones kind of stand out for you that you would say, yeah. this, is, this, this, is a, this is a Roth cheese, like this is a good one that captures what we're about. Yeah, um, so uh, Roth has a few cheeses that we call our American Originals. Um, so these are unique cheeses that kind of don't fit into any other category. Um, and they're unique to Wisconsin and unique to what we do. Um, I can't pick just one because it's, that's like picking a, yeah, a favorite, favorite child. A favorite child. <laughs> um, so I'll mention both. Um, I, we have a cheese called Canella. And it's, a, it's an aged, um, firm cheese uh, fashioned uh, after a, a Spanish basket cheese, maybe something like a manchego, but of course using cow's milk. Um, and we form this beautiful cheese in baskets so that it gets a wonderful weave pattern on the outside. And then we hand rub the outside of the cheese with cinnamon and paprika. Wow. And canela means... Canela, yeah cinnamon in Spanish. So um, I, this is easily one of my favorite cheeses at Roth. The second one um, would be a newer product uh, to us and one of, my, uh, one of my projects, so it's pretty close to me. Um, we have a new aged Gouda. Um, and aged Gouda is hands down one of my favorite varieties of cheese to eat. So I was very interested at the prospect of bringing something like that to Roth. Um, and I worked on uh, tweaking and dialing in the recipe exactly how I wanted uh, for three years. Wow. So that's one of those long-term R&D projects. Is that on the longer end of how the it, process goes? It is. I mean, we make aged cheeses. So if you're you know, looking at something that um, goes into a cellar to sit on a wooden board for a few months, up to a year. I mean, the, the process from start to finish can take years. And you're working on developing other cheeses during the time that that is aging. So mm -hmm. you kind of are 
It's a waiting game, it but is. you got to keep busy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you have to have uh, you have to have some things on the stove. A lot of right. you know some some um, stuff in the back pocket and you know, just simmering away. So those are the American originals that you were. Yeah, those to? are a couple of our American originals, um, and I think that uh, those really embody Roth, and those are cheeses we're very proud of. Um, that we we can create something new or put our spin on something. Is there a cheese that you're secretly hoping to make? A style that maybe hasn't made its debut yet? Is there oh something gosh. aging for three years that we're... <laughs> you give us a something scoop. Aging. What's, what's coming? I love that. Um, uh, gosh, I have to think of... Uh, yes, yeah, there are some things stashed away right now. Um, I... Uh, have been ideating around um, some additions to our flagship Grand Cru. It's a line. wonderful cheese. Yeah, and of course that's our Alpine style cheese. So to bring something new to Grand Cru, I think will be very special. So um, another one of those long-term projects. Um, but I'm excited about adding something to the Grand Cru family. Um, and then um, I'm hopeful that we'll have another American original as well. Um, I'm playing around with, again, flavor development and combining um, some of the top notes in favorite cheeses like cheddar and parm and uh, seeing how those can be married in a new product um, and, and produce a delicious cheese. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us in the podcast lounge. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you for having me. We're looking forward to seeing what hits the shelves from Roth Cheese next. Awesome. Keep your eye out. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Welcome to the HRN Podcast Lounge live at the Art of Cheese Festival. I'm Jessica. I'm here with Pam Hodson from Sartori Cheese, master cheesemaker. So excited to speak with you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to celebrate cheese. I know. This is amazing. This whole day has been amazing. What's, what's the festival been like for you? I think at Sartori we celebrate cheese every day, but um, can you get anything more Wisconsin than the Art of Cheese Festival? <laughs> That's true. Although I have to put in a plug for, for uh, Sartori's hometown of Plymouth, we also have a cheese festival, as do multiple other uh, cities around the state, but here we are today. Wow. Is it a yearly festival at Sartori? Uh, at at Plymouth, oh, it's in year Plymouth. Yes, Plymouth, it's yearly. Um, the other, th there's many communities that have cheese festivals or dairy-related festivals because dairying is so important to Wisconsin. Um, but the other 
really big one that we think about is the Green County Cheese Festival, which is held every other year. It'll be held next year in September. Well, it looks like this Art of Cheese Festival is another reason for people to come to Wisconsin and explore cheese. And we're glad that you're here because um, being in Madison, we have cheesemakers in town from all over the state. You are a master cheesemaker, which is something that's unique to Wisconsin. Can you tell us what that means and what you had to do to become a master cheesemaker? Sure. Um, so in Wisconsin, our cheesemakers have the opportunity to become masters, but it certainly isn't given. Um, we, Wisconsin also requires their cheesemakers to have a license. When I got my license in 1996, there was, um, it was pretty typical that you worked in a plant at least two years as an apprentice or some form of apprenticeship before you got your license. And then um, once a person's been licensed for 10 years and been making uh, the variety they want to be certified for a minimum of five years, they are eligible to apply to the program. Um, Just to do that, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty grueling, right, straight up. Um, they come out, uh, representatives from the Master Cheesemaker Board and industry will come out to the plant, they'll do a walkthrough to make sure we're doing things in a food safe way. Um, then there's an oral interview, which it was like we sat down in a conference room for two hours. It's kind of crazy. If you have to interview for two hours to get into the program, what are you going to do at the end? Although I did <laughs> find that out. Um, so based on that, the the board will vote whether or not a candidate is qualified. Um, I was fortunate, I got the phone call and I heard the words I wanted to hear. Congratulations, you're, you're in the program. Um, and to be in the program is a second apprenticeship. It takes three years. During that time, the cheeses that you want to become certified in are evaluated to make sure that they meet the highest standards. And then uh, there's coursework that needs to be done. And at the very end, there's a written exam. So in the beginning, I guess the oral exam was the easy thing. <laughs> um, at the end, uh, they, it's open book. You have four weeks. Uh, it all seems like it should be pretty good until you actually see the exam. Um, it's very extensive. It covers food safety, quality, cheese making, uh, pasteurization, um, milk, grading. And, my, my exam when I was done was 28 pages, single space typed. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, it's extensive. I mean, that's why they give you, give you four weeks, because that's what it takes. And then every answer needs to be footnoted from material from the coursework. Um, but it, if someone's going to be called a master, they should be able to demonstrate mastery. So, um, so it was neat. It was a great process. I'm glad I did it. Um, and I... I encourage people at Sartori to pursue it as well. One of the things that we do is we really focus a lot on training. Um, the first year we have a team member in the, in the cheese make process. We really f encourage them to learn how to do their job, physically how to do their job and, and what they're doing. And then after about a year, we offer a class called Sartori Cheese Making 101. And in that class, we go through the process from milk receiving all the way through storage, and we talk about why we do things the way we do it. Because certainly at Sartori, we do not do things the easiest way. Um, we have processes that we're continually working on. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're working very hard on our processes. I don't think we're there yet, but we always want to figure out the best 
we want to figure out the best way to do things so that we, the quality is there at the end of the day. Um, so because we don't necessarily do things the easiest way, it, it's easy for team members to be like, oh, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to take a shortcut here. But once they know why we do what we do, well, then we have their hearts. Because at Sartori, they have an opportunity to, to make the best cheese in the world. And we'll, we'll talk about that in, a, in an aspirational way. We, we know we're not there yet. Um, we're always striving to do a little bit better today than we did yesterday. So it's, it's something we're always reaching for. But it also, it's also very motivating because, you know, how many times in a person's lifetime do you have the opportunity to, to be going for that? So why cheese making for you? And then I want to know how you ended up working for Sartori. Well, it was never my career goal to become a cheesemaker, much less a master cheesemaker. Um, growing up, I wanted to be a dairy farmer like my parents, which took me to the University of Wisconsin here in Madison, and where I have a, I have a degree in cows. I have a dairy science degree. Um, after that, my husband and I were beginning farmers. We were dairy farmers. And we needed a little bit more income to, to fuel the dream. You know, we were starting out on our own. Um, so not too far from where we lived, there was a dairy plant that had, was looking for a quality assurance supervisor. I, I applied for it. I, on paper, I probably wasn't the most qualified, at, or certainly was probably more qualified people than, than me, on paper at least. But when I did the interview, um, that plant manager was really astute. I think he saw something in me, and he knew that I would thrive in the dairy plant, and I, I certainly did. Once I got there, I just fell in love with the process, fell in love with the people who, who work hard every day to try to make good cheese. Um, so, so that's where I got started in it. Um, and that, that was in 1991. In, in 2005, I started working at Sartori, and, and that was a really neat experience, too. Um, I had been downsized in several months before that, and um, Sartori heard that I was available. So they invited me in, and we just talked. And, and they talked about what their aspirations were, what they wanted to accomplish. And, and I talked about what I thought I was good at and what I thought my strengths were and, and where my growth points were. And, and based on that conversation, Sartori created a position for me. And, and I've been there ever since, since uh, January of 2005. So it was, it was really a neat experience. And I really think it says a lot about Sartori. And, who they are and who they aspire to be as well. You, so you, so I, I gave you tons of answers there. So. Yeah, but one of the things that I keep hearing since we started speaking was this investment in people, yeah. um, in, in a, investing in people towards like a larger goal and, and also like with cheese making where you're putting something out in the world and it, you keep putting it out in the world, right? The milk is always coming. Uh, and so there's a lot of investment and um, value and, and showing people that. And then there's also this return in that investment with getting a license in cheese making, beginning, uh, going for the masters in cheese making. So why, um, what about cheese making for you on a personal level? Like what is the part of, the, of that whole process that you enjoy? Yes. There's a lot of things I like about cheese making, um, and I'll, I'll just kind of roll right through them. I, I have never been bored making cheese. Um, there's always one more question to ask. Um, sometimes we'll 
we'll look at something and we'll say, okay, this is how it's always been done. Does it have to be done this way? And what happens if we do it differently? Or um, there'll be some thumb rule that all the cheesemakers follow. Well, is it legit? You know, if, we, if you push this lever, will the results always go in this direction? Uh, so I, I, intellectually, I've never run out of anything to, to wonder about. Um, and, and Sartori's really good about that. Sartori hugely values innovation. So we want people to be creative. When, when I started, they told me, well, you know, not everything you work is gonna, gonna work, is gonna be successful. If, if you try out 20 ideas and one successful, we're happy with that. And, and I needed to hear that because I, I have a little bit of a perfectionist streak and they, they were giving me the permission to fail. Although I have to admit, I don't think in the beginning I had one out of 20 ideas that, that hit gold. Um, but as I learned, every time we did something, we learned something more. It maybe didn't accomplish what we wanted, but um, down the road, we took that knowledge, and eventually it did yield something really neat. Uh, Satori creates American Originals. Montemori Cheddar mm -hmm. is American Original, as is our Belvatanos, and then our Belvatano, the cheese itself is a Satori Original, but then we've taken it a step further and we hand finish it with soaks and rubs, and just there's no end to the opportunity of creativity. So it's mm -hmm. this, this great sandbox. Um, and there's other things I really like about it, too. Um, in general, cheese making has been a male-dominated field. And when, when I started out, I was the first and only woman in a leadership role in that, in that plant. Um, and most people were great, you know, 90, 95% of people were great. But I did run across a few people here and there that actually made things harder for me than they needed to be. And, in that time frame, just by luck, I ran into a Mark, Quain, a Mark Twain quote um, that goes something like this. Stay away from people who belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that. But the truly great ones help you believe that you too can become great. And that, that quote got me through some tough times, but today I hear it totally different. And you know, like, like it's not like I got things all figured out either. I'm, I'm striving and trying every day like everybody else's. But what I hear in that is, at this point in my career, what can I do to develop the next generation of Wisconsin cheesemakers? And, and really, the, next, the team members in the plant are at, at Sartori. From the plant, we've had people who have gone on to be cheesemakers, and some of them will someday be a, someday be a master cheesemaker. But we've also had people who've gone from the plant floor into accounting or human resources or in other areas, maintenance. And I think that's great too, because I want as many people in all parts of the company to understand what cheese making is. Mm -hmm. So I've given you a long answer. I probably could go on forever on it, but uh, there's just so much in cheese making that I enjoy, and it, it's just beyond the art and science of it. Yeah, the passion is obvious. We talk about sustainability a lot. We'll talk about sustainability really with regards to the environment and resources with land and water, solar power, uh, what to do with whey, how to recycle that. But we don't always talk about it with people and the sustainability of talent and the sustainability of training the next generation of 
cheesemakers to carry the torch and carry it forward. And it also makes me think of when you talk about American originals, you know, and the, that process of creation and cheese creation. So it sounds like it, now you're moved into the part of your career where you're enjoying the mentorship. You're, you know, do you have that opportunity to mentor these cheesemakers? And then also, what about creating new cheeses? Are you, is this something you guys are still doing? Because Sartori has really, like, you know, really covered their bases with this beautiful line. I'm personally partial to the raspberry. I love that one so much. <laughs> I can never find it. Um, but uh, the Merlot, the Balsamico, you know, and then the Monte Amore. These are super snackable cheeses. There's a reason that, you know, people, you, that I can find them in a lot of places and that people are always looking to enjoy them. But do you think about creating more? How do you create, where does the creation start? Well, certainly at Sartori, we're going to continue to create American originals and branch off in, in different places and who knows where. And um, we're working on a whole bunch of things right now. But I, I won't share any of that because <laughs> um, where's the surprise, right? If right. I, if I, if I t say everything today, then, then there won't be as much surprise and delight later. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep innovating. Um, one of the things that's really grounded me in the process is if we do everything exactly the same as how everybody's always done it, we're going to end up with the same cheeses that everybody else already has. Mm -hmm. So um, if we think about Montemore cheddar, that that has some very unique things on how we make it. Um, it's not an easy cheese to make because it's very flavorful. And the way we're creating that flavor is by really pushing our starter systems, the, the bacteria that create flavors and also convert lactose into lactic acid, part, real, real basic partners in the cheese making process. Um, so we're going to continue to create. We hope that we can create foods that people will enjoy. I, for one, am just a huge advocate of the power of a cheese board, the power of good food. Because when people come together and they share good food, it brings them closer together. There'll be conversations where people will listen as well as speak. And people will see each other as worthy of affirmation and respect. And, and they'll see the humanity in, in the person across from them, instead of seeing people as opposing worldviews or opinions or whatever. And, and certainly, the, the world needs more cheese boards and, <laughs> and not, uh, not more conflict. I agree. I agree. Cheese, cheese can do that. Cheese will bring people together. And cheese also reminds us of like the basic like, things we all have in common, like with the land and the animal and sustenance you know, and caring for like something to watch it grow and release it into the world. And um, so Sartori is two locations, they have two plants, right? And so how, how are they um, divided in terms of cheese making and where is the milk coming from? Sartori has two plants. Um, I work in the Plymouth, Wisconsin plant and we have a second plant in Antigo. Both are very important plants to us. Um, we make all of our wheels at Anago, so our Cervecchio Parmesan, our Belvitano, um, anything in a wedge came out of our Anago plant, and, and the team up there just does a, a fabulous 
job of, of taking local milk and converting it into cheese. And then our Plymouth plant, we're, we're our block plant. Um, for the consumer looking for sartori cheese, if they look for Montemori, Old World cheddar, or farmhouse cheddar, those, those cheeses would be made in the Plymouth location. So um, it's kind of neat that we have two different formats, two different plants, and each plant can, can speak. As, as far as the milk, uh, we have two basic milk sheds. A lot of our milk doesn't travel very, very far, but I, I think as a rule, I think everything comes in within like 70, definitely less than 100 miles. So um, at Sartori, we'll talk a lot about how we develop people, but we also, in that circle, is also how we develop, or maybe not develop, that's the wrong term, how we work with our family farms and how we view them as critical partners, just like all of our team members. Um, as an example, Sartori gives out student scholarships, and every year a number of those scholarships go to family farm kids, too, who are, who are going on to further their education. And um, family farms are invited to our, our company picnic and other events. So we, we really think that's really important that they're part of, of the, we recognize the part of the team. And, and really, they are a critical part of our team because as a cheesemaker, no matter how skilled I might be, I cannot make good cheese with less than high quality milk. Milk, milk best I can do is preserve the natural goodness in that milk. And, and to that end, um, Sartori has two dedicated farm liaisons who will work with our family farms. Uh, they, they monitor quality, and if anything, at the first sign of anything being not, not to standards, they're out working with the farm in a partnership kind of way, you know, like um, how, how can we work together to, to get the, the milk to the stairs we want. And then also our liaisons do some other neat stuff. So, so they'll spend a fair amount of time um, looking at trends and um, ways we can do things better, um, how we can do things more sustainable on the farm. Um, so, so they're really partners with our farms, and we, we consider our family farms to be really critical to our success and, and part of our team. You grew up on a dairy farm, and then you mentioned that you and your husband were going to be dairy farmers. And so are you currently, do you have dairy cows? Uh, my husband and I both grew up on family dairy farms, and we were dairy farmers for 30 years, with, with certainly my husband carrying the way, way heavier load on that. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely loved it that we were dairy farmers. Um, I love the farm, and I, I love doing it. I also was very pleased that our kids could grow up on a dairy farm. Um, they, both, of, both of our kids have just tremendous work ethics, and they're very respectful of the land. And, and I, I think they both have a very big appreciation for nature because um, they were out in it. Um, and this is sort of a, a side story because here we are in Madison, the home of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and uh, both myself and my daughter are graduates of the university. And I recall when she wrote her essay, one of her essays to with her application to get in. She talked about how she loved her high school biology class because growing up in the farm, she observed all kinds of things happening with the calves or with the crops or something on the farm. And then when she took 
either biology or advanced biology, I don't know, they're both. She was like, it, it was so eye-opening for her because she understood why what she had observed was happening and she just loved that class. Um, so so I, I, I hope that my kids got something out of growing up on a farm. I know I did. It was a, it was a fabulous way to grow up when, when I was a kid. I love that. I think that all chemistry students should learn cheese making. I would have gotten through the class if I made cheese. <laughs> well, but you're right. I mean, this idea of like seeing something in the real world and then understanding more about the why um, is it's, it's great to have those two in tandem with each other. Yes, and, and looking back on it, um, if I had known I was going to be a, a cheesemaker, I really should have been a food science major. I was a dairy science major. But um, dairy science was a, is a really good background, too. Um, as an example, I took a two-credit class called lactation, which went through the whole milk synthesis process, all kinds of different things. Well, as a cheesemaker, it's pretty handy to know a lot about milk. So um, I, I, my daughter is a, was a food science major. She did graduate with the, with the right degree. But she went to the dairy science department, and, and she took that class. So um, I, I recommend it to any uh, food science major who's also at the University of Wisconsin to, to pick up that two-credit class. It's a good class. Worth that two credits. That's awesome. Yeah. Well... I want to thank you for stopping by the podcast lounge at The Art of Cheese. We really enjoyed having you here today, Pam. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cutting the Curd. Please subscribe and leave us a review on your streaming service of choice. You can follow us on Instagram at Cutting the Curd and find us at heritageradionetwork.org.